I'm Terry. And I'm Sarah. And this is Reading During Recess. I'm a writer. And I'm a first grade teacher. And we love talking about books for children. So this is episode two of our podcast. And today we are going to be discussing the YA book, TTYL, by Lauren Miracle. Yes. Ah, such a good book. So Lauren Miracle is a YA author from North Carolina, and her first novel, Kissing Kate, was released in 2003. And then in uh, 2004, she released her middle grade novel, Eleven, which is an amazing book, which we will definitely talk about later because it's one of my favorites. And then uh, Twelve, the follow-up to Eleven, Mm -hmm. if you can believe it, came out in 2007. Miracle also published The Fashion Disaster That Changed My Life in 2005 and a sequel to 11 and 12 called, wait for it, 13, (laughs) which was released in March 2008. And then she also released a book called 13 Plus One in 2010. And she wrote Rhymes with Witches and Bliss, which came out in 2008. And she's also written a book called How to Be Bad with E. Lockhart and Sarah Milnowski. So before we get into our thoughts and feelings about TTYL, I thought it would be useful to give a brief summary of the book because unless you are like us and also rereading YA books Mm -hmm. from 2004, you've probably been a while, if ever, (laughs) since you've read TTYL. TTYL was originally published in 2004 and then was reissued and updated in 2014. The reissued edition has some updated cultural references. The original version of TTYL, which was released in 2004, was written exclusively in IMs or instant messages. And the updated edition in 2014 is not written in IMs because tragically no one IMs anymore in 2014. So it's supposed to be told via text. But the differences between the original and the reissued version are pretty minor. And TTYL actually has three sequels. There's TTFN, Tata for Now, which came out in 2006. Later Gator, with eights in both of those words, which came out in 2007. And then uh, in 2014, YOLO came out with a pretty big time jump slash continuity error where they begin their freshman year of college in 2014, despite the fact that they should be uh, 26 at this time. (laughs) Yes, it is. I actually recently read YOLO because I didn't know that it existed until a few days ago. And I really enjoyed it, but it is odd to go from reading about high schoolers in 2004 and 2006 and now they're all of a sudden at college and talking about snapchat and twitter because it really makes you wonder what happened over the summer (laughs) (laughs) some rip van winkle bullshit yes (laughs) so like i said ttyl is written entirely in ims that are exchanged between maddie also known as mad maddie that's her screen name angela also known as Snow Angel, and Zoe, also known as Zoe Girl, who are best friends in the 10th grade, and they refer to themselves as the Winsome Threesome. Such a cute name. Mm -hmm. And they all have their own little character niche. Maddie is the tough and cynical one, Angela is bubbly and boy crazy, and Zoe is a good girl. And in the novel, they each have their own distinct conflict going on. Angela's dating a boy named Rob, who's interested in a girl named Tawny at their school. 
Maddie is becoming friends with a girl named Janica Whitaker, who's the popular mean girl and who really betrays Maddie in a pretty awful way. Yes, uh, Jana takes Maddie to a frat party, even though they're only in 10th grade. What frat party is letting in 10th graders? Can you imagine? Yeah, it's a good question. Not a cool one. No. <laughs> so Jana takes Maddie to a frat party, gets her really drunk, and encourages her to dance topless on top of a table in order to embarrass her. And then Jana takes pictures and emails them all over school, which is awful and we're gonna be talking more about that later and it basically causes maddie to go into a pretty dark place and it drives a wedge in her friendship with zoe and angela because they want to help her and she's basically stonewalled them because she's so embarrassed that she's not really able to talk to her friends or ask for help and then we have zoe our good girl uh and she starts getting special attention from a young teacher named mr h who is 24. Mm, gross he starts taking her to church and is hitting on her and she has a hard time kind of realizing what's happening and doesn't believe that the teacher would be interested in her and a big part of that is that she is she's kind of the shy one in the group and in the school so she's really intrigued by the interest he takes in her and then he invites her ultimately to go hot tubbing with him yikes mm. yep <laughs> oh no <laughs> And uh, she's obviously freaked out, and Angela and Maddie come to her rescue. They crash the hot tub party and uh, ensure that he doesn't get to touch her or scar her for life any more than he already has. And at the end of the book, the three friends go on a road trip to Cumberland Island over Thanksgiving break. And this is a big, big deal for them because Maddie is the first of them to get a driver's license. And so they're very excited to use that driver's license and have this newfound freedom where they can go on trips. One of the particularly great things about this being told in I Am Speak is how clearly Miracle is able to get the characters' different voices to come through. They're very distinct characters. And we've bookmarked a couple quotes that we think really sum them up best. And we have Maddie, who's the funny Kurt one. She's cynical. Um, and she has one line that I particularly adore when they're talking about some conflict Angela's having with her mom about seeing her new boyfriend. Angela has been grounded and she wants to be allowed to leave her house to see her boyfriend. And she's complaining about this to Maddie. So Angela, also known as Snow Angel, says, but still, it's just wrong. I was like, okay, mom, fine. I've learned my lesson. Now can I please go out? I totally begged her and she still said no. She is ruining my life. Mad Maddie. Damn her oily hide. <laughs> Which is amazing. And I'm pretty sure I incorporated into my own little lexicon for the next however many years until I forgot about it. And now, obviously, I'm going to have to get back to saying it. So the next character that we're going to talk about is Zoe. Like I mentioned before, Zoe is the good girl. She is Christian and is a good student, doesn't swear, and generally tries to do the right thing. One trademark of Zoe's voice in the book is that she tends to send shorter messages. Um, she often tries to like get her friends back on track when they are going on diversions or saying things that are like sillier or maybe unkind. She kind of tries to kind of redirect the conversation back to uh, what they were talking about. And she Boring. also uses asterisks a lot, which is kind of cute because 
I don't really see people doing this anymore, but <laughs> it's a nice blast from the past. She'll often put like words in asterisks for emphasis. So like, I really need to get an A on this test and really will be like in between two little asterisks. And Angela also uses asterisks a lot, but her use of asterisks is more to like designate actions. So for example, she'll put say something and then put a little action and asterisks to kind of like make it, I don't know. You drive the point it? home. Yeah. Yeah. She's a very animated character. She's very uh, zesty and mm-hmm. funny and she's very stream of consciousness. And uh, often when she'll talk, when she's feeling a strong emotion, she'll add an action in asterisks. Yeah, so to to kind of like make her points feel more illustrated or more fun. So for example, when she's upset, she might put an asterisk, lifts head from the depths of hell, and then say whatever. Asterisk, stomp, stomp, stomp. Yes. Stomps on a picture of Zoe. Stomps on a picture of Tawny. So it's- She's a very silly goose. I think that her I am dialogue is super fun. One of, she also tends to send longer messages than the other ones. You can tell that she really seems to like put a lot of time into trying to make her messages as fun and have as strong a voice as possible. So we'll share an excerpt of of a conversation that she has with Maddie. This is a section of the book from Tuesday, October 12th at 5.23 p.m. Eastern time. And Snow Angel, a.k.a. Angela, is angry at Maddie because Maddie was supposed to drive her home from school, and she did not. So Snow Angel says, Maddie, you are in big trouble. It was downright chilly walking home from school today. I'm talking serious nipple weather, but I guess you wouldn't know since you were snug and warm in your car. Did you sneak off to meet Ian? Hmm? Is that why you forgot to pick me up? Because you wanted some more of his sweet loving? Mad Maddie. Angela, this is Madigan's mother. My account is down and I needed to check one of my bids on eBay. Oh, okay. I'm really sorry. Is there something I should know about Madigan and Ian? No, I was just joking around. I'll get off now, okay? Ha ha, gotcha. Shit, Maddie. <laughs> Asterisks. Tries to stop hyperventilating. Oh, I love that part. Yeah. So, Anytime I get to read the word serious nipple weather, just really uh, perks me up. Get it? Nipples. <laughs> Our next excerpt that we're going to share is a conversation between Zoe Girl and Mad Maddie. Maddie loves to find internet quizzes and send them to her friends and have them take them. and Which is perfect and so 2004 and mm-hmm. makes me want to take an internet quiz. Agreed. Zoe Girl, what pattern am I? What pattern are you? Mad Maddie, I am leopard print, baby. Rebellious, independent, and unique. Zoe girl, okay. So go take it. BRB. And then a few minutes pass. Zoe girl comes back. Oh, Maddie, dot, dot, dot. Yes. I'm stripes. Refined, classic, and modest. Stripes, eh? I can see that. When you're not wearing your dad's ratty old Vanderbilt shirt, that is. Yeah, and I can see you as leopard print. When you're not wearing jeans and your shit-stomping boots, that is. I love my shit-stomping boots. So, the next thing that I want to talk about is the fact that this book has been banned 
many times in a lot of libraries. So in a survey of the 2018 Banned Books Week, Lauren Miracle's Internet Girl series was rated number nine of the American Library Association's most banned books of the first decade of the 21st century. And there's a few reasons why the book has been banned. The American Library Association defines a challenge to a book as a, quote, formal written complaint filed with a library or school requesting the materials be removed because of content or appropriateness. And this list that the Internet Girls ended up number nine on is based on news reports and accounts submitted from libraries and others in the local community. So there's a few reasons why the book was banned, including uh, language, like we mentioned, there's swearing, there's also references to teenage drinking, and also sexual content. There's also a, a lot of parents expressed concern that it shows teens making bad choices and not really receiving consequences, which is a critique that I don't really understand because the only person in the book who seems to make really a bad decision is Maddie, who goes to the frat party. Um, Although I would also say that she's, like, victimized by... And taken advantage (laughs) of. Taken taken advantage of, considering she's 15 years old and ends up topless at a frat party. Um, And it's also not true that she doesn't receive consequences for her actions. She's really, really shamed in school for it and seems to deeply regret it. So I I wouldn't say that the novel seems to glorify underage (laughs) drinking. (laughs) If anything, it really reads like a cautionary tale. So while the book has received a lot of criticism for being inappropriate for young readers or glorifying bad behavior, I would say that on the flip side of that, it also does have some, I think, important lessons and messages for young girls. The Mr. H storyline is a big one. So remember, Mr. H is the 24-year-old teacher who comes on to Zoe very slowly. We wouldn't have had the language for back then when we were reading this at 12, but um, is obviously grooming. He's making friends with her. He's addressing her, starting off in a slightly more familiar way than other students, getting a connection with her, and making her more comfortable and slowly lowering her inhibitions so that he can establish a, quote, relationship with a child. It's uh, it's unnerving when you read it as a kid, and it's uh, downright freaky when you read it as an adult, and the understanding of what it is that he's doing. You know, he picks this girl because she's not very confident, she's an easier victim, and he brings her to these, these places like church, you know, and bingo with his elderly mother, you know, trustworthy, wholesome places surrounded by other people so that he can eventually try to get a 15-year-old girl in a hot tub. And that's no good. Yeah. To put it lightly. Yeah, it's really troubling. I like Terry said, this is it's 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 grooming and it is the only YA book I can think of that I read that addressed grooming in like a very and made it like a major plot point and mm-hmm. it was alarming for me to reread it because as an adult reading this especially in like the post me too era it's just like flashing red lights sirens going off yes as soon as mr h enters this book it's bad news and as an adult woman i can tell immediately this man is acting in a predatory way 
he's trying to take advantage of Zoe. And it is so sad and frankly painful to watch this young girl talk about it with her friends who are also young girls and not really in a position to um, offer much insights or really recognize this for what it is and basically like see her very slowly become more and more taken advantage of by this man. Um, and you know, I think about, because one of the things that surprised me when I reread it is I'd forgotten that Angela is like, I wouldn't say like supportive of it, but it it's not an unrealistic reaction to, you know, her friend obviously has a crush on this teacher, mm-hmm. you know, Angela, you know, instead of being like, he's an adult, you're a child, this is inappropriate, you know, it's, it's like, she's kind of egging it on, which, mm-hmm. you know, she's the kid. It checks out, but I'd forgotten about that, how uncomfortable it is to read it. I, I don't know. I wish that they had, I almost wish she'd had her condemn it more because it's not until Zoe's kind of like expresses that she doesn't want to be around him and she feels uncomfortable. And there's this one part where she says like, he's talking about how like he got her like sparkling apple juice for this hot tub night that they're going to have. And she's like, and he said it in this like shy voice, which would have been cute if I still like him, but I don't, you know? And it's like... <laughs> Even if you did still like him, mm-hmm. <laughs> still bad, you know. There's, yeah. But there's sort of an implication that it's not until Zoe says, like, you know, I don't want him to want me mm-hmm. that Angela's sides with her on that. Before that, she's kind of like, ooh, forbidden love. Yeah, it's true. Angela kind of reacts in an, I think, in an excited way also because Zoe... We get the impression that Zoe's never had a boyfriend before, been in a relationship. And so, like, this is new and Angela is really boy crazy. And so she's, like, kind of excited about being able to talk crushes with one of her best friends without, I think, really understanding how inappropriate this crush is. And Which, again, makes sense because it's not it's not the responsibility mm-hmm. of the child, though, to... yeah. So I will say that Angela does say one of the, I think, most important and impactful things that you can say to a girl who's in a situation like this and who feels guilty, you know, because she's been taken advantage of and made to feel as though this is something that she should have somehow controlled. Uh, Angela tells her, second of all, um, he's the grown up. If any, if it's anybody's fault, it's his. True so, words. Yep. Angela, snow angel, say it. You're right, and you should say it. (laughs) One particularly disturbing part of the grooming situation that I noticed upon reread was how Mr. H slowly desensitizes Zoe to touch. Like Mm -hmm. he, um, after many, many weeks of taking her to church every Friday morning, he tucks her hair behind her ear one time, and then he touches the hole of the knee in her jeans, etc., and his behavior escalates slowly so that Zoe is never really sure if what they're doing is inappropriate or not. And it only becomes crystal clear to her that this is inappropriate towards the end of the book when he suggests that they um, go hot tubbing in this house that he's house sitting for. And then she wear a bikini. Yes. And then she all of a sudden realizes that I think removed from this context where she's felt safe with him, she's felt safe at the church, she's felt safe at bingo night, um, now realizing that she's going to be alone with him in a content that in a context that's pretty sexual, she starts to realize, oh no, oh no, oh no, I'm all of a sudden very mm-hmm. uncomfortable. 
And it's just really sad to watch her go through this. One thing about the book that I think is very realistic, but that to me, rereading it was so sad, is that she never at any point asks for the help of an adult. Yeah. Like, this is something... And in fact, she turns it down. She she says she doesn't want to go to her mom because her mom will freak. She'll pull her out of... Mm-hmm. You know, she's afraid she'll call up the school and make a big fuss. Mm-hmm. The very alienating feeling of... Um, and I think this is, you know, to tie this to what Sarah said about initiating this stuff so slowly, mm-hmm. you know, that she's not sure if it's inappropriate or not. It's a, I don't know, I would feel that this would be a pretty classic abusive or a grooming tactic to, you know, to show these behaviors that if she were to say anything, what, you know, what would the response be? You mm-hmm. know, she, I mean, she feels herself. She says so many times that should I feel uncomfortable? Should I feel weird about this? Like, it feels like something, mm-hmm. but like, is it something? Am I just being silly? Which I think impacts the whole, like, you know, who, who would I talk to? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, because he escalates this behavior so slowly, he maintains a degree of like plausible deniability because mm-hmm. she can go to her mom or the principal and say, what is she going to say? Mr. H tucked my hair behind my ear. Like, that's yeah. not exactly uh, textbook Grounds assault. Grounds for dismissal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, in a, it's definitely inappropriate. And so, and that's actually something, though, that I feel like one aspect of this book that I hope feels more and more outdated with every passing year, because the first, very early on in the book, Zoe reveals that she's been invited to attend this Friday morning fellowship with Mr. H. And immediately I was like, that's crossing a line. That's weird. Mm -hmm. That's super weird for a high school teacher to invite one of their students to spend time with them outside of school, regardless of the context. It's weird. Like, unless it's like an explicitly school sanctioned extracurricular activity that they're leading, it's really weird. And so I... Yeah, but that did not throw me for a loop when I read it as a a child. No, and it actually kind of scared me when I reread it as an adult and I was like wow I I don't remember this being as disturbing as it is and that kind of freaked me out because it made me realize like if this was happening to a friend of mine when I was in high school I probably didn't have wouldn't have had the tools to call it what it was or understand how inappropriate it was yep I think it's important Mm. to for kids to read books like this that address this issue even though it's super uncomfortable because it's something that um a lot of parents are not going to have conversations with their kids about like these are things that kids can learn about through reading and that's why i don't think we should ban books just because the content is uncomfortable exactly and on that subject you know i mean my only wish with this book is that it had not fallen short with the resolution of what happens to Zoe. It's handled all internally mm-hmm. with the three friends, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which related to what Sarah said, she does not go to an adult. And Sarah, if you want to. Yeah, it's, you know, the Angela and Maddie handle kind of the immediate threat of the hot tub date by basically showing up unannounced and crashing the hot tub date so that Mr. H obviously isn't going to make a move on Zoe with two of her friends sitting in between them. But that's it. They don't ever go to any authority figures. They don't ever seem to tell anyone's parents about it. Zoe continue, finishes out the year in Mr. H's class. 
Mr. H continues to work at the school, it's addressed very, very mm-hmm. briefly in the sequel to TTYL called TTFN, where Zoe mentions to Maddie that she saw Mr. H talking to another girl in the hallway and kind of standing very close to her and his body language and his tone of voice was similar to how he used to talk to Zoe. And Zoe said that it made her really uncomfortable because it made her feel icky and also like she hated this, but it made her feel kind of jealous or sad because she thought that Mm -hmm. she was special and she realizes that she wasn't, that this is like a pattern of predatory behavior, which I think is a very realistic response for um, Zoe to have had. But, and that's basically, it's mentioned briefly in the sequel. It doesn't come up in either of the two books after that. It doesn't seem to have, like, a really lasting impact on Zoe or her relationship with other men, which I think is good. Like, I'm glad for her. But it does seem a little bit unrealistic, I think, how Mm -hmm. neatly this conflict is tied up. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about what that... um one of the reviewers saying that there's there's bad behavior in mm-hmm. this book without consequences. This is the only <laughs> real instance, I feel, of bad behavior in this book without consequences. The resolution of, you know, Mr. H's pursuit of Zoe is really just that he gets embarrassed, you mm-hmm. know, by two other girls showing up. They say like, oh, you know, we made a fool out of him. But it's obvious that he's going to do it again, you know, and not to get... <laughs> Not to get too deep or anything, but it's um, it's pretty unsatisfying. And I remember being unsatisfied by it, even as a kid. I really thought that there was going to be more action taken, that, you know, that he would lose his job, that he would be arrested or something. And I remember being genuinely peeved that the last we heard of it was like, oh, yeah. You know, when they were like, we're going to go over to his house, I thought they were going to, like, catch him out, you know? I thought they were going to be like, we got you. We have pictures or something, you know? But instead, they were just like, don't you feel silly? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this isn't going to cut it. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. The resolution is really unsatisfying. I wanted him to lose his job for sure. And um, I think that it is realistic that Zoe wouldn't want to take any of those further steps because she also feels embarrassed and feels like she's done something wrong. And so she doesn't want to make like I think what makes me really sad is that I actually think that this ending is very realistic. Mm-hmm. As, I'm afraid you're right. On another serious topic, TTYL is also the only YA book that I remember reading that addressed how intimate or personal photos could be weaponized against girls and women. So like we mentioned, Maddie goes to a frat party. She gets really drunk. Jana eggs her on to drink a bunch. And then she um, ends up stand- dancing on top of a table with her top off. And Jana takes photos and sends them around to people at school. And so in 2021, we would call what happened to Maddie revenge porn. And mm-hmm. um, but and it's easier to distribute now. It's easier to take. You mm-hmm. know, this was a this would have been such a new phenomenon, I think, in 2004. Mm-hmm. In, in this way, I think that the book was actually really kind of ahead of its time or cutting edge in the way that it addressed how the Internet changes the nature of problems that teen girls are dealing with Mm -hmm. um where 10 years ago this would have been a really really embarrassing story that people were telling about maddie but in 2004 it's actual photographs that will probably she'll probably have to deal with they'll be following her around for the rest of her life which is 
really sad. And I think that's probably part of the reason also why a lot of parents had really negative reactions to this book when it was published, because it deals with these really serious topics that they would like to think that their teenage girls will not have to deal with. But I think Mm -hmm. that's not realistic. And that kind of gets also to something that happens a lot when parents try to ban books is that they're so scandalized by the content of the books that they don't bother to actually think about the message Mm -hmm. because these books are actually I was surprised when I reread them how anti-drug and anti-drinking and anti-casual sex they are you definitely read this TTYL book and think wow I'm never gonna go to a frat party Mm -hmm. I'm never gonna drink underage yeah you know they don't they don't condone this stuff I don't know why I'm saying they I guess I mean the kids Mm mm-hmm the book itself. And actually in like TTFN, which is the sequel, Maddie starts hanging out with some kind of bad kids. And basically Again? <laughs> Maddie! She's not learned her lesson. Uh, and basically what makes these kids bad is that they basically have casual sex. Like they do a lot of friends with benefits situations. And they smoke pot. Wow, that's a... <laughs> yeah, and there's one... And that's, that's like the pinnacle of bad kid behavior. Right, and I'm like, they're like juniors in high school and they sometimes smoke pot. Like, that's... That's not exactly... It's gonna happen. Yeah, that's not exactly, like, you know, time to... Time to, like, take them to Dr. Phil. <laughs> you know? Like, it's... It's a pretty... It's pretty tame as far as teenage bad behavior goes. And again, like, I was actually surprised when I was reading it because I was like oh this is where I can tell that like the person writing this book is an adult and she's a Mm -hmm. mother because the resolution of TTFN is basically that like Maddie realizes that she doesn't like smoking pot that it doesn't make her feel good and that she was only doing it to fit in yeah I remember that yes and so it's very much like an anti-peer pressure like I really feel like Nancy Reagan would if she (laughs) had read this book I feel like she would endorse its message um, and then obviously we couldn't read this book. Yes. I'm not about to read a book endorsed by Nancy Reagan. <laughs> so it, it is funny because it's like, yeah, Maddie smokes pot. Very shocking. But she also almost gets arrested. Um, one of her friends gets, gets arrested. She gets grounded. And she basically swears off of drugs after that. So it's like, Again, why are it's just it's just kind of outrageous to me that Yeah, you're you're jumping the gun here. Yeah. Like, you know. And it's she, not the book you have a problem with. It's teens. Yes. And their behavior in general. Right. And there's like a fair bit of and this is like kind of gets onto our segment that aged poorly. Um <laughs> not to jump the gun too much, but there's also a fair bit of slut shaming in the book. Jana is in this book and in the sequels mm-hmm. is described as a slut many times and girls who have casual sex or have sex with people that they are not quote in love with are demonized yeah so that's um a bit of a bummer that's actually i i don't i i don't love that portrayal but i would think that conservative parents would so yeah <laughs> aren't they all about that yeah so i don't really... sort of their mo <laughs> i don't really understand what the big problem is but so Lauren Miracle has talked a little bit about the experience of being an author whose books are banned, and she has a particular quote about it that I found interesting. She says, lots of my books have teen girls in them. 
Teen girls sometimes talk about sex. Teen girls sometimes have sex. Lots of grown-ups would like to believe that this is not true. I'm not one of those grown-ups, and I think it's important and meaningful to give readers stories that reflect reality in a respectful way. Like, not salaciously, but with the intent of saying, let's look at how this story played out. How did it seem to work out for so-and-so? And then the readers, who are smart, damn it, can grapple with those issues themselves. Ah, well said, Lauren. Snaps for Lauren. I can't snap my fingers, so I'm just sort of clicking them together like crab claws. <laughs> Something that I also found interesting in an interview that I read with Lauren Miracle is she said that when she first found out that TTYL had been banned, she felt terrible and she cried and she called her editor and apologized, which I think is a really interesting response because... I would have thought that she would have expected that this book would ruffle some feathers, if only because of the language and the way that it Mm -hmm. it talks about sex at all. But I guess she didn't really... She was a young writer. This is one of her first YA books, and I guess she didn't expect that response. But now she says that she... might not have expected that much attention. That's true. She said now she takes pride in the fact that they've been banned, which I think is um, a good way to look at it. Ooh. It's time for us to talk about the ultimate question... The question that keeps all of us up at night. Are you a Maddie, a Zoe, or an Angela? Excellent question, Terry. (laughs) Why don't you go first? Why don't you tell us which of the winsome threesome you are? I would love to. Okay. But, and this is something that I think is important to talk about, is that one fits into different character roles in different friendships. I think that the older you get, the more friend groups you have and uh, the more different roles you play in various friend groups. So I'm going to reference specifically my own middle and high school friend group, which was great because I think I had about two other friends, give or take, (laughs) maybe more. Um, But I always felt very strongly that I was a Maddie because my friends were uh, very, and still I'm still really good friends with um, a lot of these girls, but they were all, they were all Christian. I was the only non-Christian. They were very good girls. I said, fuck. So that was kind of like a, that's kind of like a cool thing that I did. So I was the bad one. So I always identified a lot with Maddie. I thought that she was cool. And um, I felt very strongly that it was nice to see a hag represented. And I am (laughs) so excited to get back to saying, damn her oily hide. Yes. Simply cannot wait. Yes. I don't think I'm that much like any of the characters. I think I probably have parts of all of them. But in high school and middle school, I regret to inform you that I was probably the most like Zoe. (laughs) It's okay. Everybody needs a Zoe. I was quiet. I was shy. I wasn't very confident. Um, I was very focused on school. And yeah, so that's probably the one who I was most like, even though even at the time when I read the books, she was not my, she was actually my least favorite character, but <laughs> I still had to address It's hard to, to I had look to, at those deep truths. Yeah, I had to admit to, admit to myself that actually I saw, I saw her in me, even though I didn't want to. Okay, you know what? Here's my take. I feel that, and I can only speak to now because Sarah, you and I became friends our freshman year of college. So I did not know you in middle and high school. I feel that we are perhaps half and halves of Maddie and Angela and then Zoe and Angela. I agree. Yeah, I definitely wanted, I wanted to be an Angela. Everybody wants to be an Angela. Yeah, she's so fun and funny and I bet that she has 
she just seemed like she had a lot of friends and just knew what she wanted but and she was for sure happier than the other two yeah definitely automatically puts us out of the running for angelos <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately yes right there if you are rife with mental health issues <laughs> regrettably you can you may be- not be an angela <laughs> I also, I will say that I was surprised, um, just in general, how little TTYL-related content there is on the internet. I would have expected that there would have been a lot written about these books because of the fact that they were so formally innovative and unique and also ruffled some Very popular. And very popular, but there's actually not much about them. Um, there's hardly any... Act- there's really no academic writing on them that I could find, which I found surprising. And um, there's also no BuzzFeed quiz for which... That's, pardon my French, that's fucked up. Yes, I agree. And I think maybe we should make one. I think we're going to have to. BuzzFeed, if you're listening, we're doing your job for you. So you're welcome. Yeah, you can lay off more journalists. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And on the subject of who you identify with more, I think we have to talk about how Lauren Miracle somehow has achieved what so few other YA writers are able to do, which is actually sound like a teenage girl, which is amazing. You know, it doesn't sound corny. It doesn't feel like overplayed or anything. Her text speech is really, really great. And it sounds like how my friends and I spoke, how I still talk. Mm -hmm. But... It's also worth noting that I might have just stolen my entire personality from this series. I can't say for sure. But it's definitely one of the two. Yeah, it's kind of like the chicken and the egg, you know? Yes. Who came first? Was it me, who was born in 1995? Or was it my other personality, which was born in 2004? (laughs) One of the things that I found interesting as I made it to the end of TTFN, which is, like I said, book two is there's a very brief about the author section with uh, about Lauren Miracle. And it has a quote from her where she says, the coolest thing was getting to incorporate the crazy stories and funky vocab that my readers passed on when they emailed me. <laughs> like crud balls, what's not to love about crud balls? I had so much fun writing this novel. Here's to hoping it's equally fun to read. And so I did wonder about that. Like, how did she incorporate teenage lingo and dialogue in a way that felt authentic and it sounds like she had the inside scoop from readers who were sending her um their own ims which i think is um i love that yeah i love that too cute so a lot of criticism of the novel when it was first released comes from the idea that the book was dumbing down american teenagers because it was written exclusively in ims and so there's a lot of the typical literary techniques that we think you should go to fiction for, like setting, traditional forms of characterization, or even like traditional forms of dialogue aren't there. And so mm-hmm. it's considered, you know, the book is like a very easy read, of course. And so a lot of parents and adults at the time were like, that's not a real book. You're not really learning something from it, which I think is so stupid. Please, like, read for pleasure, have fun for once, let kids read the books that they want to read, because that's how they are going to develop a love of reading. You know, if you shut them down and tell them that they're picking the wrong books, then you're cutting them off at the knees. You're ruining a perfectly good reader, and you're giving it self-esteem issues. 
nice going. Besides, American teens are plenty dumb on their own. They don't need to read to get dumber. Like, for the love of God. <laughs> I agree. I think it's it's so silly to um, to panic about something like this. First of all, because we know, just statistically speaking, that most adults don't read books regularly mm-hmm. for pleasure. And so, like, a lot of the parents who were shaming their kids for reading this book probably hadn't picked up a book in months. <laughs> Get them! <laughs> and so I feel like if kids are having fun reading at all, if they're having any kind of positive associations with reading, let them have that, and then they might transfer that positive associations to more highbrow reading later on. You know, like, I read a ton of crap when I was a kid, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, my sister and I... Some of our favorite books were the Mary-Kate Nashley books, (laughs) which are garbage, absolute garbage. Like there's, we'll do an episode on them later because I love them. But like from a literary perspective, there's nothing there. You know, it's just cliche plot lines, but it was fun. Like we had fun collecting them and, and sharing them and like trading them with our friends. And it instilled a love of reading that then, you know, like, like now I've gone on to get my MFA in creative writing and I read pretty literary stuff most of the time and ttyl didn't ruin that for Mm me and think about how much uh it's so sad i this is a message for all you grown-ups out there if you were like me if you were one of those kids who was always reading all the time and now you're like what's wrong with me what's wrong with my brain why don't i read as much it's probably partly because of your smartphone uh it's turning your brain into scrambled eggs it's doing that to mine but (laughs) consider this also pick up like a Pick up a book that you know you love. I don't know. Read like Hank the Cowdog or something. Read a a non-great book and just remember what it felt like to read for fun. We don't have to feel insecure about our reading. You can read an entire book told entirely in 2004 I Am Speak. Not only can you, mayhaps you should. Yes. Cut out the part where I said mayhaps. (laughs) The other thing about this, like, panic about the dumbing down of American teens with a book like this that's so silly is these are the only books that are like this, you know? Like, it's not like kids are going to... (laughs) They're not going to, like, read these fun IM books and then, like, only read IM books from now on because there's just a few of these. Yeah, they got so stupid that now they can't even process. We had to rewrite Great Expectations into (laughs) I Am Speak because it was the only way. (laughs) It's just so silly. And it also, to me, when I was like reading about this, it really felt like a very dated concern, too. What kids are exposed to on the internet now is terrifying. Like, kids Mm -hmm. can become literally radicalized to become neo-Nazis in their bedroom and their parents have no mm-hmm. idea what's going on. Like there it's the threat to like teenagers now is I think so much more dire than it was in 2004. Yep. And just the idea that we were worried about Lauren Miracle corrupting our kids by getting them to read a book <laughs> by not capitalizing eyes in the text speech. Right. It just feels su- like such a dated concern. And uh, I would love to have my problems be that meaningless again. <laughs> <laughs> Take me back. Also, I think that something that's really interesting about these books is that there are, of course, like pretty severe limitations placed on them by the form. And mm-hmm. I was really interested in how Laura Miracle responded to that because think, oh, yeah, reading a book all in IMs between friends, like that sounds fun. 
but that's actually really hard to do to represent plot mm -hmm. and character development and tension and all of those things. And you can't have setting. And most of the time, people aren't IMing while something is presently happening to them. So they would, she would have to mm -hmm. find like a, a realistic reason or excuse for them to be sharing this over IM versus a phone call or versus in person. Like there's a lot of- How do you deal with internal monologue? You right. Know? Yeah, there's so many hoops that she had to jump through that I think actually, I mean, like every once in a while, you know, you kind of feel the uh, suspension the of Yeah, you feel yeah. You, the suspension of disbelief kind of falters a bit. But for the most part, I would say they're, they're quite successful. And it's actually, rather than looking at this as, you know, like a dumbed down book, I think... It's also interesting. Ooh, I like to, that. Yeah, it's interesting to think about it as like an ambitious project that was probably hard. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, I do love those few moments, though, where it kind of slips and you're like, hang on a moment. One of my favorite things that pops up ever so often is where a character will start to type something and they'll be like, well, I was just thinking. And then they'll stop and they'll be like, never mind. And it's like, and then I just picture them sitting there, typing that out, hitting enter, you know, and then being like, hmm, no. <laughs> right. Like what? You didn't, you couldn't have just deleted it and then started with your new thought. I agree. One of the things that's also, I think, really interesting about these books now reading them like more than 10 years after they were released is um, how they are kind of an artifact of a method of communication that doesn't exist anymore. And that was one thing that I actually felt didn't really work in the reissued version, is that texting and instant messaging are like fundamentally different mediums and people use them for different ways. Like yeah. I remember when I had AIM in middle school, I would log into my AIM and literally sit there and be like, I'm going to talk to someone. And then you'd like sit yep. at your computer and like be focused on a conversation with someone and like maybe be playing Tetris while you're doing it. It's not like now when I text my friends while I'm like at a red light or waiting in line for sushi or like the texting, the phone is with you all the time. And so the conversations in general, unless you're talking about something pretty serious, tend to be shorter and pithier and mm -hmm. but like when you sit down to i am with someone you are having a conversation with them kind of in the way that you would like sit down to have a phone call with someone and exactly so the it doesn't i had a harder time with the reissued version i had a harder time believing that these friends would actually be relaying all of this information over text message because that's just not how people text you know exactly especially not when they literally go to school together right you know in the old days, <laughs> you know, I mean, you didn't have your, you didn't have a phone, you didn't have a device on you all the time. You would have to wait all day to go home to your giant <laughs> desktop computer with the big back, you know? <laughs> so you could sit in front of it and wait for your friend's name to pop up on your screen and then tell them everything that happened. I mean, Sarah's right. It was, it's, it's really nothing like text. Mm -hmm. And there's a beauty to it that I think should be left untouched, like the Mona Lisa, you know? Look at me, I'm getting dumber because I read this book. <laughs> While we're talking about dumb, <laughs> I think it's time to transition into our one of our favorite segments, which is That Aged Poorly. Woohoo! Um, so we'll start with kind of the lighter stuff that aged poorly and then maybe move into some of the heavier stuff. Some of the <laughs> things that aged poorly would be Angela's clothing. 
Yes. Um, Angela is a fashionista. We're meant to understand her to be very fashionable. She but being a- fashionable in 2004 is like being a good cook in England. It's like, what is that even? <laughs> like, <laughs> by what definition? <laughs> no offense to all you. <laughs> All you English people out there. <laughs> yeah, the outfits that she describes, and she takes great pride in describing her outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I love. They're easily one of my favorite parts yes. of the book. And they just are so ugly. <laughs> so, Terry, why don't you read us a few descriptions? Uh, Snow Angel is wearing a long sleeve white shirt, knee length denim skirt with flower print, Wooden platform sandals, silver square bracelet, garnet ring, hair down. I'm sorry. Amazing. Can, can we just take a moment of silence for the knee-length denim skirt? Ugh. Incredible. With a flower print. Of course. Like, so much to unpack here. And so much to repack. Like that skirt back into your drawer. Never to be seen again. <laughs> Horrifying. Simply the worst. Okay, can I say this, though? Not to sound like a millennial which I am, but apparently word on the street is that the young people are beginning to dress in like these funky, uh, they call it Y2K, early 2000s outfits, which I, I don't know, I have no strong feelings on, but I just think it needs to be said that there will come a time when Angela's look, I believe, will be recreated unironically on some young person. Whew. Well, I know it's a lot to take in. My only comment on that is that I vow to never, ever put on a pair of low rise jeans again. Thank you. Ever. And I will support you in that. There is nothing that will get me back into those. Do you remember when the flies on women's pants were like an inch long? Why? And for so long. For so long. They were like that. Yeah. And they were like that when our self-esteem was at its lowest. (laughs) Like, Jesus Christ. Like, I'm not saying things are easy now for teens because they're not. But if high-waisted jeans had been popular when I was in high school, I could have been an entirely different person. Or even mid-rise jeans. Yep. Oh, my God. I could have... My mental health, I can't even imagine. I want to just say, as someone who's already self-conscious about the length of my torso, low-rise jeans... (laughs) Low-rise jeans are not doing me or my confidence any favors. And they will not be coming back. I won't let it happen. Can I just say, as a short-waisted person, but someone with a uterus, which is, you know, a solid half or so of the population, (laughs) low-rise jeans, they're not a good mix. (laughs) No, they're not. They're sure not. All right. This one was a personal favorite of mine as a kid. I did not want to own the denim skirt one, but I did very much want this one. Attire. Swirly dragon t-shirt, flared blue jeans, sapphire ring, silver ID bracelet, Doc Martens, scent, vanilla musk. Wow. Which I could only picture as a look. So she was wearing Doc Martens with flared jeans? That is correct. All right. I'm just like having trouble processing that, but... Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> but she did do it. I'm trying to picture the dra- the swirly dragon t-shirt. Like, yeah. I can't quite bring it to mind. I'm, I'm also not really looking forward to the return of graphic t-shirts, but I feel like 
That was a dark time. Y'all remember Wet Seal? Mm. <laughs> Even the title is disgusting. Yeah, why did why did we shop there? I know why, because everything was $5 or less. It's true. And made out of plastic, but it is what it is. And it was kind of fun to dig it out of the bin. Right? There was, you felt like, I don't know, it probably tapped into some deep-rooted animalistic tendencies. Yeah, like some hunter-gatherer yeah, stuff. Right? That's, that's how I felt when I'd walk into Forever Turn 21. over the soil. <laughs> Unearth the cropped teas. <laughs> uh, remember, they all had like a little, I don't know, like a little graphic of like a carton of milk and a cookie. And they were like, best friends. And you were like this. <laughs> yep. Oh, this I is going to look really good on me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really not looking forward to sh- like shirts having a sense of humor. Like your shirt doesn't yeah, need to be either. funny. You, you can be funny. You don't need your clothing to speak for you. Oh my God, pun shirts. I can't believe I forgot about this. Yeah. An ID bracelet. Do you know what that is? I think it's, I think it's like one of those bracelets that was a thing in like the, like 2005 where it's like tat, like a silver kind of like. Ooh, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. I think. I don't know though. Tweet at us. Tell us. (laughs) What is an ID bracelet? (laughs) Please. We don't know. We're younger millennials. I've got another outfit for you. Are you ready? Ready. She's really big on the prints. Uh, Mermaid print shirt. Faded Levi's. Maddie. Remember Maddie, one of her friends. Maddie's bottle cap belt. Brown leather clogs. Ooh. Ooh. Scent. Vanilla musk. I'm beginning to think that this is a signature thing. Oh, and I love, she does specify this. She says, oh, and my blue Old Navy hoodie tied around my waist in case it gets chilly. I was like, what? <laughs> um, you know, that is actually one aspect of 2004 fashion that I'd like to bring back, bring back, which is tying sweatshirts around your waist because... Makes sense. It's just, it's just makes sense. The bottle cap belt. So, okay, can we briefly discuss the bottle cap belt? Again, if you guys have any more insight into what a bottle cap belt would be, is it just a belt covered in bottle caps? Or is it a belt for a bottle cap? (gasps) Oh my God, because how else would the cap stay on? You know? Exactly. (laughs) We did it. Never mind. Don't tweet us. Don't contact us or our families. (laughs) We have all the answers we need. (laughs) So... The next part of the That Aged Poorly segment that I feel like needs to be addressed is one that comes super early in the book. It's like page four or something uh, where they start. There's a lot of like body shaming towards this one woman who doesn't uh, shave her pubic hair. And mm-hmm. all of the body shaming about women who don't shave is just as very 2004. Pretty yikes to yep. me. But they call her pelt woman. Yeah. On a serious note, I think most like young women in 2004 were not identifying as feminist and probably Oh, absolutely not. We're not thinking about th- like shaving as a feminist issue, you know. They're looking at it very uncritically. Exactly. And you know, it's sad because I think that most girls probably got some kind of self-esteem issue. You know, all of us can pinpoint the exact point where we realize like, oh, something is wrong with my body, whether it was yeah. from a comment someone made or something you were watching on TV. When you were like, oh, I didn't even know I was supposed to be worried about this. <laughs> yep. But I can guarantee you that for some kids, um, you know, for some young girls, that the idea that you were supposed to um, be fully shaved below the waist. Like a wet seal, you might say. Like, uh, it, oh, all right, turn off the cameras. It's over. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we broke reading down to the bare essentials. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, I'm sure that this was some girl's, like, traumatizing awakening of, oh, snap, it's better that I be a tragic clump of razor burn below the waist than, um, than grow hair that grows there. <laughs> Unlike the boys in my class who are allowed to grow natural body hair, mine is somehow a mistake. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, it grows there, but it's not supposed to. Yeah, it was an oversight. More like a tumor that you have to keep removing. Can you tell I'm bitter about this? <laughs> yeah, so that felt a little bit, that felt pretty outdated. And I was actually surprised that that conversation made it into the reissued version. It seems like they could have found some other thing to dislike about this woman. But yeah, I mean, maybe it's realistic. God. I don't know. Maybe teenagers in 2014 were also super body shamey about hair. Who knows? Something that did not make it into the rewrite, um, and as well it shouldn't, and which I had forgotten about until I reread this book, is the repeated use of the R word. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say what the word is. I think most of you guys probably know. But I had forgotten that that was such a common insult, that it was just that much a part of these girls' uh, vocabulary, that all three of them, you know, not just Maddie, who is considered to be the, the one who is often in poor taste, you know, but good girl Zoe kind Angela, all of them continuously drop this word throughout the book. And every time I saw it, it was a little bit like being slapped. Like I had not seen it written in years. You know, I haven't heard it said. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm lucky, you know, in that regard. But, and I'm not surprised that they removed it from the new one. I think that that's something that would have, it would have caught attention. It caught my attention. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember being, um distressed by it the first time I read this book because like you said it was such a common part of um, teenagers vernacular but uh it's it's something that feels really like a blast from the past when you read it mm -hmm. in 2021 distressing and that's just the tip of the iceberg <laughs> it's also interesting because there is one point in one of the sequels I can't remember if it's TTFN or later Gator where they make a comment ab about how it they don't like it when people use gay as an insult, like, they're like, oh, yeah, that's, like, homophobic or whatever. So, like, these mm -hmm. girls understand that that's offensive. Yeah. Which also which, was, like, a very common uh, insult. It pops up, actually, a little bit in this one. It's pretty early on. Maddie mm -hmm. describes something as tre frute. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they, she and Angela have a conversation about whether or not that is um, an offensive thing to say. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, see, I recently reread the revised and updated TTYL, and that conversation was not in it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised that they cut it. That one wasn't quite as shocking to me as the R word, but uh, I did <laughs> I did feel not great <laughs> mm -hmm. when I read it. And this actually gets to one of my next points I wanted to talk about, which is this book, it definitely deals with important social issues things like grooming like we talked about revenge porn mm -hmm. um but it doesn't really at all discuss race sexual orientation ability mm -hmm. status like a lot of these issues of diversity that are now becoming increasingly more common topics in ya which is a good thing that they're now being the focus of, of a lot of newer ya novels that don't come up in this book and it, it got me thinking about just how white the 
canon mm-hmm. of children's and young adult literature is that I read as a young kid. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. That's something that I think is going to be a recurring theme in mm-hmm. this show is like the different ways in which certain identities are either just completely not acknowledged or erased or addressed in ways that are outright offensive. I'm glad that that's something that is changing in YA, you know, as more and more um, people of color are publishing. And But it is, it's something that's kind of distressing to me as I reread some of these books and just realize, like, wow, these books, almost all of the books that were recommended to me by my school librarians and my teachers mm-hmm. were by white people about white people. It's actually yeah. something that came up a bit with Lauren Miracle specifically. Um, this past summer, she moderated a YA panel at Y'all Fest, which is a YA conference. And it didn't really go super well. It had a lot of POC authors on it. And she spent pretty uh, somewhat significant amount of time talking about how important it is for white boys to have books written about them, too, um, because she just mm-hmm. recently <laughs> wrote a book about... Um, a young white teenage boy, which, I mean, I haven't read the book, and the book might be wonderful, but I think, you know, obviously it's in pretty poor taste to um, to bring that up at a panel where you're supposed to be letting authors no of color have the stage. Uh, plus, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, most people who have read or have been alive for the last... I don't know, several hundred years can tell you there's a there's actually a pretty deep well of books for white boys to choose from. Yes. That represent them. So I'm not worried necessarily (laughs) that they are going to feel unseen anytime soon. Agreed. Agreed for sure. Yeah. So it it was a good reminder for me because like obviously I have as a reader who read her books, I have like very fond feelings towards Lauren Miracle. And then, um, and Lauren Miracle, I should say, like, apologized for this. And you can read her apology on Twitter. She, the reason I found out about this is because I saw her apology on Twitter. And so I looked into it more. And it, it's it's just a good reminder that these these authors who had a pretty profound impact on our adolescence and shaped us in a lot of ways have these huge areas where they are also mm-hmm. pretty flawed. It's I think it's just an important to note that, like, one of the reasons why I think so many white adults in this country are so incapable of talking about race or addressing race in any kind of serious way is because a lot of us were raised on media that didn't ask that of us. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, and I think about that a lot as a teacher. Um, I teach first grade, so I teach beginning readers. So um, the books that less so the books that they can read independently, but more about the books that like I choose to read aloud to them or or even just that they look through pictures of. I've done a deep dive, you know, this is only my second year and I've been given a lot of books by a lot of, you know, family members, friends, former teachers, and some um, I have I have put far away because I think I do my kids a disservice <laughs> mm-hmm. to let them read them. You know, we're, we are recording this episode pretty recently after um, the Dr. Seuss's estate stopped publishing uh, six of his books. Of those six, only one of them I'd ever read. It was the Mulberry Street one. Mm-hmm. But I looked it up, you know, and I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
But to anybody who is peeved by that, you know, I, I don't think it's super important that your kids get to read or look at racist imagery, yep. you know? And maybe if that's high on your priority list, maybe you should rethink why that is the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an important thing to think about, I think. I was interested in what some other readers had to say about these books. And like I said, I was kind of surprised by the lack of articles and um, like critical analysis of the books. And so I went to Goodreads, which is always a fun way mm-hmm. to see what, what readers have to say about books. And the first um, <laughs> review that I saw said, um, dot, dot, dot. Why does this book include a lot of swearing? This book influenced one of my friends to swear a lot after reading this. <laughs> Which I just think is hilarious. I would love to know exactly how old that kid was who wrote that. That is truly terrific. I want to know if the, is the feeling concern for this friend? You know, is it just a general observation? I love it. I love it because I think this is exactly what the parents were afraid of. <laughs> I know. It's just, I mean, I wonder if it was written by an adult. <laughs> yeah, like going deep undercover. Look at Maddie teaching the children. <laughs> Good old Mad Maddie. It's also funny because it's like there is swearing in the book, but I wouldn't say there's a lot, you know. There really is not. It's true. That happens a few it times. It's, it's a pretty tame uh, book, all things considered, yeah. when it comes to language. And I would say, like, in general, in life... Sometimes swearing is necessary, and it's important that kids know that. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, I don't know. Let the kids say fuck. They have no money. They have no rights. They... T- <laughs> Life is very hard these days. Yeah, they've been locked inside for a year. They haven't even been going to school. Yeah, like, I think it's... I, you know, we should give each kid one pass to say fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, at the time of their choosing. I yeah. feel this very strongly. I... I'm going to write a petition on change.org so that we can start sending out passes for the children. I can't believe this wasn't part of Biden's stimulus bill. This is really disappointing. I, you know, I just feel let down. Talk about your fave is problematic. (laughs) (laughs) To clarify, Biden, I would not consider Biden as my fave. I know you guys don't know me. I just want to make sure. (laughs) Oh, crying I, again. I did not vote for him in the primary, just so we're clear. <laughs> I obviously voted for Marianne Williamson. <laughs> okay, that was also a joke, just in case. Damn, Sarah, they're gonna get you. They're gonna fucking get you. I don't want to be canceled after our second episode. <laughs> oh my god. It's so early. <laughs> Everyone, please wait until at least episode four to cancel us. Yes, please. Um, I also found one other <laughs> review by someone named Debbie Pitts. Um, she gave the <laughs> <Sorry>. book... <laughs> I mean, it's a funny name. Um, she gave the book one star. She said... Uh, this review is from 2008. She said, This book was disturbing on many levels. Uh, not only did it force me to relive the shallow insecurities of teenage girlhood but I had to endure the shock jock attempts by the author to reach immature minds where they are. I don't think anyone younger than eighth grade should be exposed to the language and sexual content of this book, and I think even parents of high school girls should read it and use it as a teaching tool with their young girls. On the positive side, I think the writing of this story through instant messages between the girls was a stroke of genius, and there were some positive lessons to be learned from the story, but I think the language and childishness of the girls' language and behavior cheapened the book's value. 
yes, you could argue that's how girls talk, which it is. Um. Yeah, I will argue that. Thank you, Debbie. (laughs) But that doesn't mean we have to condone it by having this on the middle school library shelves. Funny how parents are so careful about what their kids are watching on TV or in the theaters, but don't think to check on what they're reading. Okay, can I just say that it sounds to me like Debbie loved this book. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but like she starts, she's like one star, this is disturbing. And then she lists so many good things about it. You know, she's like a stroke of genius. Like it forced me to relive my teenage girlhood. It's like, Debbie, you're in denial. Like it's a good book. Like (laughs) it sounds like she's convincing herself as she's going. She's like, I I should say though. It sounds like it was a bit of a guilty pleasure for Debbie. Me thinks the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> also, I love that Debbie read this book. Why? How old is Debbie? I have many questions. Anyway, but then immediately was like, it's time to go to goodreads.com <laughs> and give this tween book one star. It's like, damn, Debbie, like, this is fan behavior. I'm sorry to say it, but <laughs> like. <laughs> Terry, do you want to read our, our last Goodreads review? I would love to. Anna, who is much more in touch with her own feelings, in 2008 said, These books are amazingly addicting. I've probably read each one at least 10 times, mostly because they're hilarious, but also because they're my go-to books for when I'm super stressed and need to read something stupidly good. Which is, I don't know, exactly what we were talking about in the beginning. You know, does this book need to be highbrow literature? No. Is it fun to read and good for the soul? Strong yes. Agreed. I read these books many times in middle school when I was bored or lonely. I really felt like Maddie and Angela and Zoe were my friends, you know, and... That's why you were lonely. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. It's true. She's right, though. And yes, I I do and felt the same. So These are... I was so glad that this was one of the early books that we chose to to talk about because it meant that I got to reread this book. I brought it to work with me to read during lunch, and I felt like, you know, people would, like, stop by my room to, like, drop something off or something, and each time I would kind of quickly put it down, (laughs) you know, because I was like, oh, no. (laughs) But, um... Again, to bring it back, you know, we don't have to be ashamed. It's like not every pizza needs to be made in Italy with the freshest basil. Sometimes you order from Little Caesars and I would say Papa John's, but I I hear there's like something going on there. So we're going to go with Little Caesars. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you order from Little Caesars and frankly, it is it does the job just fine. So I want us to finish up our conversation with thinking about what some of the good lessons are from the book, um, what we learned from them as kids, and if there's anything that still seems valuable or useful to us as (laughs) sad 25-year-olds rereading (laughs) YA books. So one thing that I found really that seemed to be a theme across the series is that the girls are encouraged to push themselves outside of their comfort zone. And sometimes this even causes them to do things that are maybe a little bit risky or dangerous. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. in the second book, Angela's family moves across the country to California and Angela is miserable. She misses her friends. She misses her hometown. She is so unhappy that she actually, without her parents' permission, takes a Greyhound bus all the way from California back to Georgia. I forgot about that. And it was super brave and like, you know, pretty risky. Something bad could have <laughs> happened, but it didn't. And, and and you're kind of meant to, I think, 
understand that what she did was potentially dangerous and also kind of admire her gall in doing that. Mm-hmm. Similarly, like in the the third book in Later Gator, the winsome threesome get in kind of a prank war with Janna and Maddie pulls a prank on Janna and then Janna retaliates and then Angela pulls a prank and then Janna retaliates and then it's Zoe's turn to pull the next prank. Um, and at first she really doesn't want to do it and Angela's feelings are hurt because she's basically like, Maddie and I have already gone to bat and now it's your turn and mm-hmm. like, and Zoe's like, no, I don't want to do it. And then she she does end up doing it and like she feels really proud of herself for stepping outside of her comfort zone. You know, I mean, it's silly, but I think that <laughs> I think there's something. But to be, it's noteworthy. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for like moments in the books when the girls step outside of their where they they could become caricatures, you know, where like Maddie's the tough girl and she only ever acts tough. And so is the good girl and she only only ever acts well behaved. But the books like continuously present situations that force them to go outside of those tropes. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a good lesson for all of us that we don't have to always act in exactly the prescribed ways that we feel we're supposed to or that we feel like is expected of us and that sometimes you can get on a greyhound and go from california to georgia you sure can honestly you won't get in that much trouble with your parents and so you should definitely try it (laughs) yep that's the message for the kids yep (laughs) um and i also really appreciated how much emphasis the books um placed on the power of friendship. This is a theme that comes up a lot in YA literature and is one of the major themes of probably my favorite YA book, which is The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And this idea of this representation of young girls where they are not catty. Catty. Jinx. They're not jealous. They're not vindictive. They support each other. They sometimes get each other. They They have falling outs. And then... And then recover. Yeah, and the book is also, I think, pretty good, does a pretty good job modeling, like, what to do when you, how to handle arguments with friends and how not to handle arguments with friends and the idea that, like, Mm -hmm. it's okay to argue with people and that you can learn something from it. The demonstration of the power of friendship in these books is good, especially because when you're a teenage girl, speaking as a former teenage girl, Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately... (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We're all in recovery. (laughs) Yeah. One of the only places where I found consistent positive representation of friendship between girls and young women was in books. Because Mm -hmm. in TV shows and films, it often wasn't even a subject of storylines, you know, like hashtag Bechdel test. Or... Or it was presented in a way that didn't feel at all accurate to my relationships with my friends, mm-hmm. which were by and large very positive and, and nurturing. And so I think that books like this are actually really useful to girls. Heck yeah, they are. Well said. You know why I told you that it was well said? Because you're my friend and I love you and I will nurture you. Thank you. I love you too. All right. Now, of course, it's time for the verdict. I think that this book is amazing. I think it's a treasure and I will probably reread it again within a year. And in the meantime, I give it nine out of ten pairs of bootcut jeans. Very good. I think I would give TTYL an eight out of ten for uh, eight out of ten pairs of bootcut jeans, and I would give the series as a whole a nine out of ten. Solid. Pairs yes. Of good jeans. take. Yeah. 
Um, well, thank you all so much for listening to episode two of Reading During Recess. Please follow us on Twitter at reading underscore recess and Instagram at reading underscore recess. Feel free to share any of your TTYL or YA related thoughts or hot takes with us. Yes, please. And tell us what an ID bracelet is. Yes, we still don't know. No. No. <laughs> <laughs>